Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the way that you present yourself to us, for the way that you remind us that we are not alone, and for the way that you remind us that we are not our own. We thank you for the way that we have been uplifted while we have been here in your presence this morning. And I pray that we will be changed, that we will be strengthened, that we will be encouraged, that we will feel the need to repent, that we'll be different because of the time that we have spent here today in your presence. Father, you are the only one. You are the holy one. You are the one and only true God. And it's to you and you alone that we give our lives and worship in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, please be seated. Jesus wandered up on a discussion one day. It was a discussion that seems very 21st century. It was a discussion that had to do with relationships, specifically with the relationship between husband and wife. And he comes upon the scene and the question is brought to him, for what reason should a man divorce his wife? And I don't know if Jesus started feeling the pressure like oftentimes we feel the pressure when the subject of divorce is raised. But the way in which he handled it showed that he understood something that many times we do not understand. And he would tell the people that were listening, listen, Moses granted you this opportunity for divorce because your hearts were just so hard. He said, but in the beginning, it wasn't like that. You see, Jesus was there in the beginning. He was the Word, and it was because of the Word that the things that were made were made. And when Adam breathed his first breath, it is because the Word was spoken. And Jesus saw that, and he was there, and and he knew what it was that God was doing. And he knew what the plan of the Father was. He says, in the beginning, it wasn't like you think. When you think about husband and wife, when you think about marriage and relationships, in the beginning, it wasn't so. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this idea of suburban legends. We've been talking about different marriage and parenting myths and And for the next couple of weeks, I just want you to know we're going to get real. Because we're going to talk about a subject that hits so close to home in so many different relationships. And, And the first thing that I want us to talk about this morning when it comes to this idea of suburban legends is the idea that, well, nothing lasts forever. Especially when it comes to our relationships. I mean, we all know this, right? This is what we are told. We, we learn it in the songs that we listen to, especially. Because, by the way, did you guys know that Taylor Swift and her new guy are no more? Did you know this? Yeah. 
I mean, don't they look like a happy couple? I mean, the good news is, I guess that's going to mean more music for you Taylor Swift fans, right? I mean, every time she breaks up with somebody, there's this, um, just this flood of musical emotion that goes through her. And so, you're all going to have some more songs to listen to. And so, that's a, that's a good thing. But you look at her, you say, well, nothing lasts forever. In another six months, there'll be a different guy. And then, in another six months, there'll be a, a different guy. And it's not just in, in music that we learn this. We, we also learn this when it comes to our, our movie stars. You, you heard that, that Johnny Depp and, and his wife, Amanda Heard, right? They're divorcing. I mean, that's been a big deal. I mean, apparently he didn't like the fact that she took her dogs secretly into Australia and they had to go online and make this uh, big apology to the government of Australia and, and everybody looked all lovey-dovey together. And then like a few days later, it was like, we're done. We're out of here. All pirates of the Caribbean on you. I mean, we're gone. And, and the one, I guess, that really, when I heard this just a few weeks ago, I thought, you know, this is just proof that, I mean, nothing, nothing lasts forever. You know that Ozzy and Sharon aren't going to be together anymore, right? I mean, you've heard this. And when Ozzy was asked his thoughts about it, he said, oh, <laughs> her. I mean, I really thought they would last. (sighs) Nothing lasts forever, we say. It's not a laughing matter, though, when you, when you look around our auditorium here and You know that there are men and women who are are hurting because it didn't last forever. Maybe we laugh to keep from crying. Maybe we laugh because we wish things that could be different. But we have so many of our midst who have experienced this, what has become considered to be a truth, that nothing lasts forever. And so then maybe we look around and we see a certain couple or we see a a man or we see a woman and we say, I can't believe that happened to them, but, but I guess nothing lasts forever. And here's, here's my fear. My fear is that, that we are raising up a generation that see what goes on sometimes in their parents' lives, that see what goes on in the lives of their friends' parents, that see what go on in entertainment, in all the relationships, and they are growing up, and they really believe when it comes to marriage, it just doesn't last. And so they expect, and they even anticipate, that it's just going to happen. One day it might happen to their family. If it doesn't happen to their family, one day it might just happen to them. And so they come and they stand before God and family and friends and they pledge and they promise and they commit till death do their part. But then they realize as they're walking out the door and zippity doo dah is playing as they're skipping away on their honeymoon, nothing lasts forever. But Jesus comes and says, in the beginning, it wasn't like that. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. 
I want us to go back to the beginning. And I want us to go back to the beginning and I want us to look at the relationship with that first husband and wife. Because when everything was begun and when everything was started, the intent of God was that there would be one man and one woman for one lifetime. And I think there are some things that we can see in their relationship That especially if you are some of our teenagers, if you're young adults and you're thinking about marriage and relationships and you're wondering, can it really last forever? I want you to be able to hear the message of God today and have him speak to you that says, yes, it can. It can. And if you're an individual who is here this morning and you have gone through the pain of a relationship that has fallen apart, a relationship that did not end up being what you wanted it to be and what you thought that it would be, then I want you to listen and allow God to speak hopefully some peace into your heart this morning. And I want you to be able to listen and and hear perhaps truths that can help you in the future if in the future you decide that another relationship is something that is appropriate for you. So open up your Bibles, if you would, to the very beginning. Go to Genesis. We're going to look at the second chapter, Genesis chapter 2, as we try to debunk this marriage myth that says nothing really lasts forever. Genesis chapter 2. Adam wakes up from a sleep, and he looks over, and there is the most beautiful creature that he has ever seen before. Someone that God has made special for him. Because all the other things that were created were found not to be fit for him. It wasn't the plan. And so God allows Adam to go into this deep sleep. And when he wakes up, there is something that is unique. That is something that is different from him. It is something different from anything that God had created to this point. And he wakes up and he begins quoting poetry. Because he is... He's a lover, not a fighter. Actually, I don't guess he quotes poetry because it's his original. Here's what he says. This is now bone of my bones, verse 23, and flesh of my flesh. See, here's what he's saying. She's been made just for me. She's the only one for me. And here's the deal. If we want to get to a point where we realize that this idea that nothing lasts forever, if we want to get past that and get to a stage where we can say, you know what, I really do feel like that the marriage relationship can last, then we have to grasp this idea of exclusiveness. Where we approach our marriage with this one and only mentality. Where you look at your husband or you look at your wife and you say, this is the only one for me. My wife, my husband, was made for me. See, this is what Adam does. He says, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This is the only one for me. And now for him, it was the only one, right? I mean, he didn't have a plan B. He had to make it work. There was nobody else at the office. There was nobody that was down at the gym. There was no other choice. He had to make things work out. There was no backup plan. And so suddenly, he has this great incentive, this great motivation to work things out because he has this relationship. And if it doesn't work out with her, that's all there is. 
And I think this is the mentality that we need to have in our marriage relationships. Where we're not asking the question, did I marry the right person? Instead, we have an understanding that this is the only person. This is the only one. And sometimes I'm asked the question, do you think that there's only one person out there for everyone? Do you believe that everybody has a, everybody has a soulmate? Now I was asked a question similar to this on a, on a uh, compatibility test that Tanya and I took during our pre-marriage counseling. And there was this question on there that said something to the extent like, can you ever see yourself married to another person? And I used what I thought was pretty good logic at the time. And I said, yes. I suppose that there could be specific circumstances where if they were to arise, even though it seems so outlandish that it could hardly even be imagined, but I guess, yes, I could see myself married to someone else. Now, you might be surprised to learn that Tanya said no to that question. And I'm just going to give you a little free advice, guys. When you're doing your pre-marriage counseling and somebody asks you the question, can you ever picture yourself married to anybody else? The answer that you need to say is no. (laughs) Tanya and I celebrate 19 years this month. And she still has not let me forget um, the answer to that question so (laughs) so many years ago. But I do get asked by those who are single, hey, do you think, do you think there's like one, just one person that's out there for me? And, and I usually tell if this is a single person, I'm like, well, I sure hope not. Because what if somebody messes that up? I mean, think about it. What if one guy out there goes and gets the wrong girl and it just messes everything up for everybody else? Because he picked the wrong one. I mean, there was somebody for him, but for some reason, he ended up with somebody else. And then it's just a domino effect. And it's just one after another after another. And so I, I tell those couples who are, who are single, I'm like, listen, guys, no, I don't think necessarily there is just one. Because first and foremost, no one person can complete you. That's God's area. But if you are a married couple... And you come to me and say, is there only one person for us out there? Does everyone just have one soulmate? I say to that person who's married, yep. And good news, you're married to them. You're married to them. So you approach it with this mentality and this question. It's not, did I marry the right person? But it's the understanding that this is the only person for me. For Adam and Eve, there's this great motivation here to work on their relationship. There is this great motivation to keep things right at home. Because there's no other plan. I mean, this is it. And if you can approach marriage with this type of mentality, it makes all the difference. But here's why it's hard. Because in our culture, we are taught to compare relationships. And we're taught to compare spouses. And so we kind of treat it a lot like dating, right? I mean, when teens start to date, they begin to start weeding out the, the princes and the frogs. And so they kind of define it this way. They say, I'm going to go hang out with you and, and we'll do stuff together until somebody better comes along. And then when somebody better comes along, I'll go hang out with them. And we'll go to the same places and we'll have the same movies and and we'll pick the same songs. And then somebody else will come along and 
and then it just keeps going. And it's sad, but we take this kind of approach when it comes to our marriage. That I'm just going to keep one eye open, and I'm going to see if there's anything better, and I'm going to compare and contrast, and I'm going to do a little shopping here, and I'm going to decide if, if this marriage is really going to work. Do you realize that for half of all women ages 15 to 44, their first union is cohabitation, not marriage? For less than one quarter, the first union was marriage. And here is Casey Copen. He's the author of the report. He says, instead of marriage, people are moving in, cohabitating as their first union. And it's kind of, you'll like this living in Chattanooga, it's kind of a ubiquitous phenomenon now. See, you thought ubiquitous on those, all those billboards was Coke, right? I mean, that's what they're putting out there now. It was Coke and, and Coke's everywhere. But here's what this author says. Now, let me tell you what's everywhere. What's everywhere is that people are choosing not to get married. Instead, they're just going to share a car and share a house and maybe share a few kids and pick out curtains and share money. But you know what's missing? Commitment. Because you can walk away whenever you want. And Jesus says, from the beginning, it wasn't this way. And so we just kind of have this mentality. So we see this in a marriage where a wife is just so unhappy with her husband. And why is she unhappy? Because her husband doesn't do something that somebody else's husband does. And, and the guy is unhappy with his wife. And why? Because some other guy's wife is doing something that his wife doesn't do. And so there's discontentment in marriage. And it's just poisoning the relationship. And so for Adam and Eve, there was this exclusiveness. Where it was, you were bone of my bone. And you were flesh of my flesh. And I think it made all the difference for them. And I know it would make all the difference for us. Verse 24, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother... And they will be one flesh. The word one here would have had a lot of significance for the Hebrew listener. Because it was a word that they would use three times a day when they pray, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it's the very same wording that's used here. The same word that's used to describe God is the same word that's used to describe the union between a husband and the wife. The two are separate, but they are so much together that you can't tell where one stops and the other begins. It's, it's what we're just called oneness. How can you have a relationship that actually can make it forever? It's a oneness. There, it just comes from God and Him alone, a spiritual oneness that He offers that's so much deeper. He said, well, how does this play out? Verse 24, we see a little bit more how it looks or how it's achieved. It says, a man will leave his father and, and mother. See, one of the reasons why marriages don't have this oneness is because either the husband or the wife or perhaps both just don't leave. They don't leave. They didn't leave the home that they grew up in. There are a couple of different kinds of homes that are usually um, seen more regularly when I talk with different people and, and talk about the different relationships they have with their families. There's one that I'll call the Waffle House home. It's the home that you were smothered and covered in. It's where mom and dad just loved on you all the time. And they were overly protective. And then when, and then when you get married, they just kind of see that as a little bit of a competition. They see there's a competition between them and, and your spouse. 
And so they begin to, to try to pull and they begin to try to, to push you away. And they cause division and conflict between you and your spouse. And mom and dad, I just want you to know that you lose every time. Because even if you win, you lose because you're robbing your children of the oneness that God wants them to have as they grow closer to one another and depend on each other. Another home that's difficult for people to leave is one that's just, I don't know, it's, it's the damaged and drained home. There are people who when they leave this home physically, they, it's not a problem, it's just leaving mentally that's the problem. They're more than happy to get out of Dodge. I mean, they can't wait to get out of the house, but they leave so many pieces behind. They leave so many pieces behind that they're not able to truly give themselves over to their husband or give themselves over to their wife because all of the pieces that are left at home, it's anger and it's resentment and it's bitterness because of all kinds of things that happened or things that did not happen in their home of origin. And it's just still there. And they bring all that with them into the relationship. And they can't have the oneness because they never left. And they're so drained emotionally or intimately that they can't connect with another person. Because what if I give my heart to you and you treat me like my father treated my mother? Or what if I give my life to you and you walk out like mom did? I mean, can I really make myself vulnerable like that? If I give them all that I am, there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to end up being shattered. And you will not be able to have the oneness that God wants in your marriage until you are truly able to leave home and be united with your husband or your wife. I read about a great example of this. In, in, in Nigeria, there's a tribe there in Africa that when it's time for the wedding ceremony, the groom is taken to a hut. And the groom is taken to a hut, and, and, then, and then one of the tribal elders will call out to the groom. But here's the problem. In the doorway of that hut, there is someone there trying to block the groom to get to the bride. Physically, that person will stand there in the doorway and, and do whatever physically possible to keep the groom from leaving the hut and being able to make it to its bride. And now the cool thing is, is mama is the one that stands in the hut. <laughs> no lie. Now, now, who wouldn't want to go to that wedding? I mean, wouldn't that be a good one to see? I mean, you call out the groom, you know, it's like, Ali, Ali, oxen free! And all of a sudden you hear this, Mama, Mama! You know, and all this pushing and, oh man, I'd go to that wedding. I mean, weddings can get boring sometimes. But isn't that the image? Doesn't that create a good image of what it means to leave? See, it's a strong word that says, look, I'm choosing... I'm choosing the relationship with my wife over the relationship with my parents. And we read about how the two are united. King James translation uses the word cleave. The Hebrew word there is a word that means that two things are so cemented together that you cannot separate them without both of them being damaged in the process. And those of you sitting here this morning who have gone through the pain of divorce... You know exactly what that means. You cannot separate them without both being damaged in the process. Job uses it to describe skin on bones. Ezekiel uses it to talk about the scales that are on a fish. In 2 Kings, it's used to describe leprosy that clings to a body. This is the picture. This is the unity that God wants there to be between a husband and a wife.
as we finish up, look down in verse 25. It says, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And that's the third thing that leads to a lasting relationship. Nakedness. No, I'm just kidding. See, that makes you feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? And here's what I thought was interesting about that. We don't like to talk about what God said was special between a husband and wife. We feel uncomfortable because Satan has so twisted it and society has so taken away from God what was meant to be a beautiful thing. That when you talk about the complete oneness that's shared between husband and wife, they felt no shame in the beginning. But the preacher makes a joke about nakedness and you sit there and go, mm. Jesus said in the beginning it wasn't so. It wasn't so. There was this complete openness there was this complete oneness between husband and wife. And now we feel uncomfortable just to talk about it. Now I'm not trying to say that you pretend like your spouse is perfect in every way when we talk about this complete openness where everything is bared and everything is, everything is there to see. See, people that act like that there's no problems going on in their relationship, people that act like that their marriage is all perfect, they just annoy me. Do they annoy you? Do they? You see people and it's like, oh, it can't be that good, right? And most likely it's not. A husband and wife, before they're married, they look at each other and there is this overblinding acceptance of each other. Why? Because we use the word, they've fallen in love. Oh, yeah, they've just fallen in it, right? I can't help it, they say, I've fallen in love. But then they get married, and these feelings begin to fade. And you know what? He looks at her, and he says, Well, I thought you were great, but now that we've been together for a little while, there's some things that need to change. And she looks at him and says, You know what? I was thinking the exact same thing. And what happens then? Well, suddenly, everybody starts covering up. And they cover up quickly, don't they? Someone has a spoonful of sarcasm or a cup of criticism that they add to the relationship. There's some silent treatment and ridicule. There's shame and guilt that becomes a part of the marriage. And a husband and wife, now they're in the presence of each other and they're constantly covering themselves because they just feel like they can't, they can't spare the criticism. And they can't be open and they can't be honest and they just feel it coming their way, the condemnation. And there are lots of kinds of shame and there's lots of kinds of guilt. And it just begins to mount and mount and it just robs of what it was supposed to be. That idea there of Adam and Eve and how that they were unclothed and they felt no shame. It was this picture of complete openness between husband and wife. Where nothing was hidden. Nothing was kept from the other. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no criticism. Here's what I know. Many of us have just kind of accepted what we've been told when it comes to our marriages. We just kind of accept that this is just how it goes and nothing perhaps does last forever. And maybe the blueprint that you were given for your marriage is just was something handed down to you from your mom and dad. It's just the only way you know. 
It's the only thing that you know to do. And so here's what happens. A wife will say, I know this much. I don't want to be the kind of wife that my mom was. And a husband says, I know this much. I don't want to be the type of husband that my dad was. But the problem is you're following the same blueprint. The problem is you're following the same ingredients, the same instructions. You're going with the same game plan. You're using the same recipes. And so you get into the marriage and a few years into it, you realize that it's just pretty much the same. And so that's why we come back to God's Word today and we say, God, will you just write, would you just write for us the story of what it's supposed to look like, of how it was in the beginning. See, in Genesis 2, the story ends and the love story comes to a close at the end of that chapter. And in chapter 3, we don't know how much time passes, but after some time, maybe hundreds of years, in Genesis 3, sin enters the world for the first time. And Adam and Eve decide that they're not going to do it God's way. That instead, they're going to do things the way that they want to do them, and they're going to be the people that they want to be. And they sin, and that sin begins to do what sin always does. It destroys the relationship. It tears down. And immediately, they begin blaming each other. In the very next verse, we see where they begin sinning. The first thing they do, they start to clothe themselves. They start to feel the shame and the guilt. They begin to cover up. And you begin to read through their story, and you see the blame and the accusations. And it begins to sound a lot like things that happen in your very house. And you go, see, I told you, nothing lasts forever. And Jesus says, in the beginning, it wasn't like this. And so you keep reading. And you go from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. You go through the Gospels. And you get to the place called Romans in your New Testament. And you see where it says, Sin entered the, wor- entered the world through one man, Adam. But it is through one man, Jesus Christ, that grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation comes. And so here's the challenge for you. Here's the challenge for all of us. For marriages to be ones that last forever, we have to go back to the beginning. We've got to go past our parents. We've got to go past the movie stars. We've got to go past the people that we see at work, the people that we see even at church. We've got to go back to the beginning. And we have to allow Jesus to be written in to the story. You see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there was nothing made that was not made through that Word. And so if Jesus is not the main character in our life, if Jesus is not the main one that's in the marriage, yes, we're going to have trouble. And there's going to be difficulty. And there is no perfect marriage. And because of the sin that happened so many centuries ago, yes, we end up feeling the brunt of that. And we make decisions that we should not make. And we break people's hearts. But through one man, Jesus Christ, came grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. If you are married this morning, then please hear me when I say that you can have an everlasting marriage. You can. It doesn't mean it's always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean everything is going to fall into place, but it can truly be a relationship that honors God. 
If you are unmarried today, and if you were thinking about that, and you say that's in my future, and it's something that you are praying for, I know for many of our young people, your mothers and fathers are praying right now for your spouse, whoever that person might be. We want you to know that there is such a thing as the everlasting marriage, but it starts by going back to the beginning and following what it is that God laid out for that first couple. Having that exclusivity, having that oneness, having that complete openness, those things put into the relationship, Jesus says that's how it was in the beginning and that's how it can last forever for you. And if you're someone who's here this morning and you have experienced the pain of it not being forever, then please hear me when I say that you are not defined by your relationship. Is there something that perhaps you need to repent of? Probably so, if we're all honest. We have come up with this idea that in marriage, when marriages fall apart, there is one guilty party and there is one innocent party, and yet we all bear some blame. Maybe you need to come this morning and say, you know what, I, I just need to repent of the bitter feelings that I have for my, my spouse, for my ex-spouse. And I would love to have a new relationship. I would love for things to, to be different and I need God's courage to step out. I want you to know, I'm going to tell you up front, we're going to talk next week about the subject of divorce. Today we looked at what it means when things, or how can things go on forever. Next week we're going to look specifically at what happens when things don't. And like I said, I know these are very um, heavy lessons. And I know it's a very important study. And for many of you it's a very painful time and we recognize that. But it's something that we want to talk about because we want God to speak truth and we want God to speak hope and we want God to speak peace into your relationship. If you're here this morning and your marriage, whether you think it is strong or whether you think that it's struggling, you know what I would love to see every once in a while? I would just love to see couples come together before the congregation and say, would you as a church just pray for my family? And the church not wonder what's going on. And the church prays God because there's a couple that wants to lay their marriage at the foot of the cross. And so here's my challenge. Okay, this is my challenge. If you're married this morning, don't be embarrassed. I want couples filling up this area this morning so that we can pray to God for our marriages. Because there are individuals who are in here who are hurting. And there are individuals in here whose marriages have not worked. And they look at those of you who are still married right now. And they're praying for you. Because they don't want you to have to deal with what they have gone through. And so we're going to sing a song called On Bended Knee. And this isn't a come if you've got terrible things going on in your life. This isn't a come if you've got to confess some crazy sin. This is come if you want God in your marriage. Please. Bring your husband. Bring your wife. As we stand and say.